0: But I think uh, at night, like, I feel like I feel her because she's waiting for me to come and fetch her, but it, I don't care. maybe she thinks I don't love her anymore. So, really hurts. That is the voice of Nokolunga Nkosi. She is the mother of a mahle tibete, an eight-year-old girl who has been missing from Sakani on the East strand of Gauteng since the 6th of April 2019. That is also the voice of desperation, devastation, and a very specific kind of gut-wrenching fear that only the parents of a missing child can feel. Welcome to True Crime South Africa. I'm your host, Nicole Engelbrecht, and this is Episode 5, The Disappearance of a Mahle Tibete. This is the first case of a missing child that I'm covering on True Crime South Africa, and it is very recent. I wanted to cover her disappearance as soon as I could, because her case needs urgent exposure. In my opinion, not near enough media attention is given to children that go missing in South Africa, especially children from poorer communities. Later on in the podcast, I'll discuss ways that we could look at changing this, and the organisations that exist which seek to advocate for missing children. Before we get into that though, let's talk about a Amahle's story. Eight-year-old Amahle Tibete lives in Sakani with her mother, Nokulunga. She is a grade 3 student at a local primary school. Sakani is a township located in the municipality of Akureleni in Gauteng, South Africa. The area is home to approximately 140,000 people. Saturday the 6th of April 2019 started like any other weekend in Sakani. Children spilled out to play onto the dusty streets, while their mothers tended to household chores close by. Other residents sat just outside their front doors, cooking meat over an open fire and sipping on beers, a rare treat in a community where the unemployment rate is high, and those who are able to find work often do so at a low wage. Amachtle and a large group of friends played between the houses until around one o'clock when they were approached by a man. None of the children had seen the man before, and it appears that some of Amachtle's friends were immediately weary. He approached a young girl and asked her if she could assist with directions to a local shop. The girl refused to assist, but when he asked Amachle if she would show him where the shop was, she agreed. Amachle is described as a shy girl who doesn't easily talk to strangers, so I could only think that perhaps in that moment she didn't feel threatened. The man and Amachle walked away from the group and started to head down the road. Concerned, a few of Amachle's friends tried to follow the pair, but the man had reportedly chased them away, saying he didn't need their assistance. The children retreated and watched as Amakhle and the man disappeared around a corner. A little while later, Amakhle's mother went to call her daughter. She found the group of children that she knew Amakhle had been playing with and asked them where she was. Their response would be the beginning of a nightmare from which Nokalunga Korsi has still not awoken. The children told Amachle's mother that she had gone to show a man where the shop was, and she had never returned. They had assumed she had gone home. The children described the man as being young, wearing a beanie, white shirts and black shorts, and having a scar on his face. Amachle's mother returned home, and her family members mobilized a short search, which yielded no results. At some stage during the initial scurry and chaos, someone had mentioned to Amachle's mother that the description the children had given sounded eerily similar to an identikit which had been circulated recently on social media. In a desperate attempt to put a face to the person who could have her child, Amachle's mother showed the identikit to the children who had seen the man. They agreed that it looked like the man who had walked away with Amachle. Police were called and a missing person report was filed. And for quite some time, police would investigate Mahle's case as a missing person and not an abduction or kidnapping. The reason given for this is that eyewitness reports stated that Amakhle had not been taken by force and had willingly gone with the man. Now, I understand that police are simply following policy here, but I'd like to say that the policy, in my opinion, cannot be made applicable in the case of a minor. Amakhle is eight years old She willingly went with the man because she knew no difference and she intended to show him where the shop was and return to her friend shortly after. There is absolutely no evidence to show that she intended to leave with this man on a permanent basis and even if by some wild stretch of the imagination she had, she does not have the legal capacity to make that decision. I'm going to sound like a bit of a stuck record here, but she's eight understandably, the police would have had no proof that she didn't just show the man where the shop was and then wander off somewhere on her own, but there had been no other sightings of her, and she knew her surroundings well. There is very little chance that she would have gotten lost. The impact of the inquiry initially being classed as a missing person is that far less attention and resources were allocated to the case than it deserved. Precious time was lost. Lost time from which, in my opinion... This case has never recovered. Something interesting I discovered while researching this case is that in South African common law, kidnapping and abduction are two different crimes. While the layman, and I include myself in that bracket, may use the two terms interchangeably, they are in fact quite distinct. The SAPS website defines kidnapping as, quote, a crime which consists of unlawfully and intentionally depriving a person of his or her freedom of movement, and, or, if such a person is a child, the custodians of their control over the child. End quote. And then abduction is defined as quote, unlawfully taking a minor out of the control of his or her custodian with the intention of enabling someone to marry or have sexual intercourse with that minor. End quote. Police response to Amachle's case in the immediate aftermath has been severely criticized by the community of Tsukani as well as Amachle's family. In an echo of the political posturing that happened in the station strangler case, this case is also played out in the run-up to the national elections, which were held in May of 2019, and the parties in contention used Amachle's case to garner local support. The Socialist Revolutionary Workers' Party lambasted police and headed up their own search party on the 9th of April, along with community members. A suspect had been identified by the community and pointed out to police, who reportedly did not move swiftly enough to bring the man in for questioning, so the SRWP decided to do it for them. They located the suspect and reportedly handed him over to police for questioning. Little is known about the suspect mentioned here, but he is not the same man in the identikit mentioned earlier. Police reportedly questioned the suspect, searched his home, and unable to find any evidence linking him to Amakle's disappearance, they were forced to release him on the 12th of April. Although they had allegedly promised to inform the family before they released him, the police are said to have not done so. A spokesperson for the SRWP claimed that they had also given police eyewitnesses that confirmed seeing the man in question with Amakhle on the day of her disappearance. On the 16th of April, an awareness march was held in Sakani to demand the return of Amahle Tibete. In the days following Amachle's disappearance, the social media mill ground out a few pieces of information, which all either proved to be fake or impossible to confirm. The first was a message that had originated in a WhatsApp group, stating that families with missing children should head over to a nearby power station where approximately 10 girls around 7 and 8 years old had been rescued from an alleged human trafficking ring. This was shared on almost every single social media thread I came across, and despite it being labelled as false on many occasions, people continued to spread it. The second piece of information shared on Twitter, which can only be false in my opinion, as I only saw it posted by one person and never confirmed in any news article, is that a was taken at gunpoint and police engaged in a shootout with a suspect while pursuing him but were unable to arrest him. The third piece of information I found on these threads was a woman who stated she had seen a Makhle on the day she went missing, in a vehicle with two adult males. The woman claimed to have seen a Makhle in Boxburg, which is 30 kilometers from Tsukane. A machle's aunt, Duduzile Tabete, responded to the woman's claim by asking her to go to the police with information. The family hired a private investigator to look into a Makhle's disappearance. Amakhle's aunt stated that one of the first things the private investigator had told them was the fact that Amakhle's friends had identified the man in the wanted poster that her mother had shown them as being the same man that had taken Amakhle was not solid evidence. I tend to agree with this, and I think it could be potentially damaging to the case if the man in question is indeed found to have been involved. I fully understand why Mahle's mother showed the children that identity She was desperate to find her child, and in the early hours of her disappearance, I'm quite certain she was not thinking in terms of what might damage a future investigation. She just wanted a little girl back. Unfortunately, because the identikit was shown to the children in an uncontrolled environment, not by a law enforcement official, and that was the only identikit that was shown to them, a smart defense attorney could easily damn this identification as tainted and have it thrown out. Amahl's aunt insists, however, that the children gave the description of the man before they saw the identikit, and therefore they could not have been influenced by it. The identikit had gone viral on social media, though, and that, too, could be used as evidence that the children may have seen the picture on a previous occasion. The human mind works in strange ways, and children's minds are even more malleable than those of adults. It is not beyond the realm of possibility that some of these children had seen this identikit before, and perhaps even been warned about a man fitting that description. In their young minds, they could have related that image to being one of a bad man, and when an equally bad man came and took their friend, perhaps their minds immediately conjured up that description. I've mentioned this identicate quite a few times now, but haven't delved into what the man is accused of, and why is being so voraciously hunted. The man in the identicates is in his mid-twenties. He has a caramel-coloured complexion, is drawn wearing a beanie and has a scar on his cheek. The man is wanted in connection with 58 cases of rape. Crimes which have been attributed to him started in 2012 on the East Rand, and since then, victims in the age range of 12 to 20 years old have come forward to report being raped by him, predominantly in the township areas of the East Rand, including Tsikane, Duduza, Patvintin, Etwatwa and Crystal Park. The suspect's modus operandi usually involves him claiming to be some figure of authority in order to gain access to a victim's premises or to lure them away to a secluded area where he sexually assaults and threatens them. In some of the cases, he appears to have stalked the victims before the crimes. The cases were linked based on the description given, his modus operandi, and the area of operation. One source also claims that there is DNA evidence to link some of the cases. If all of the cases attributed to this man are in fact connected, he would be one of the most prolific serial rapists in South African history. A 50,000 rand reward has been issued for information leading to the arrest and successful conviction of the suspect. He has been known to use various different ruses to gain access to victims. In one case, he told a young girl that he was from the municipality and needed to get into her residence to assess it for the installation of a solar geyser. In another instance, he allegedly forced a group of schoolgirls into a field by pretending to be a security guard when he caught them illegally crossing a railway line. He proceeded to force the girls to perform sexual acts on each other while he watched and then raped some of the girls. Besides the children's identification, though, there is very little in this description of the suspect that causes me to believe he is involved in Omachle's disappearance. At eight years old, Omachle is not in his target age group. He generally approaches girls on their own, and in some cases, seems to specifically target an individual. In Amahle's case, she was with a large group of children, and he actually approached a different girl before interacting with Amahle. The serial rapist has never taken a victim for an extended period, nor has he killed any of his victims, or attempted to do so. It is not uncommon for serial rapists to evolve, though, and start extending their fantasy into physical violence beyond sexual assault. But why would he have done that with Mahli? Perhaps he realized that considering her age, there would be a huge manhunt underway for him, or perhaps he decided to start permanently silencing his victims because of the many reports which had been made against him and the ongoing search for him. If the serial rapist is involved and he has evolved into a murderer, the question remains, where is Amakhli? Could he really have hidden her body so well that we would not have found her by now in the numerous searches conducted of Tsukaini? Amakhle's mother believes that she is still alive. She says that she dreams of her often and feels like she has let her daughter down. What if Amakhle thinks I don't love her anymore, she asks. What if she's waiting for me to come and collect her? This constant circling of what-ifs must be the most draining and devastating part of being a parent of a missing child. Amakhle's mother looks physically and emotionally exhausted already. Her daughter has been missing for four months. How do parents cope with their children going missing without a trace for four years, ten years, fifteen years? It's an almost incomprehensible pain. A neighbor of Amachle's family, Tandazo Ndlovu, has become the family's unofficial spokesperson and has been a great proponent in pushing for publicity and progress in the case. She too believes Amachle is still alive, as a little girl was kidnapped in a neighboring township in May and her body was sadly discovered within a week of her disappearance. Sandazo believes that if Amakhle had been killed, they would have found her remains by now. A police spokesperson agreed, saying that in most cases where children were taken to be murdered, the child's body was found in almost all the cases in their precinct. Amakli's mother is unimpressed with the recent efforts by police. She says that in the beginning they were all gung-ho, but as time passed, it feels as though they stopped making progress, and they have not kept up communication with the family. According to statistics released in 2013 by the SAPS Missing Persons Bureau, a child goes missing in South Africa every five hours. 77% of these children are found alive. But that leaves a frightening 23% that are not found alive, or indeed, at all. A major factor in resolving the cases of missing children is awareness and publicity. Of course, I hope that True Crime South Africa can become part of the solution where awareness is concerned. There are several organizations in South Africa that work towards publicizing missing person cases and circulating posters. Missing Children South Africa was established in 2007. According to their website, the kidnappings and brutal murders of Shaldine Human 7, and Anastasia Visa 12, were the sparks that ignited the fire under this organization. The organization works with the SAPS to bring maximum awareness to cases within the golden first 24 hours. Their website has missing person posters on it, which date back to 1990s. There is a link on their website to report a person missing. The other major missing person advocacy organisation in South Africa is the Pink Ladies. This is a group of volunteers affiliated to the NGO by the same name. They work closely with police and besides bringing awareness to missing persons cases, they also work closely with families to provide support, direct information to the police and assist in sexual abuse cases. I follow both of these organizations on social media, and I encourage you to do the same. I will leave links to both of these organizations' websites in the podcast notes. I found it both heartbreaking and eye-opening to scroll through the posters on these websites, especially the older cases. Every single one of those missing posters represents a human being who is seemingly vanished from the face of the earth. But they haven't. They're out there, somewhere, some alive, and some unfortunately deceased, whether by malice act or not. They haven't evaporated into a puff of smoke, and there is another person I think about when I look at those posters, besides their devastated family members of course. I think about the person who knows something. For every single one of those missing people, there is another person walking around, living their life, who holds the key to their vanishing. That person may not even know they hold the secret, which is why it's so important to keep the faces of the missing circulating. It may just jog the right memory or tweak the right conscience. When a child goes missing and is suspected as abducted or kidnapped in South Africa today, we rely on the aforementioned two organizations, as well as social media and the SAPS through conventional media, to let us know. But is that good enough? With the first 24 to 48 hours being so absolutely vital in such an investigation, is it good enough that we only find out about an 8-year-old that has been snatched in trickles, stops and starts? As at March 2019, 21 million South Africans have smartphones and I think we'll all agree that our service providers have no problem sending unsolicited advertising messages to our cell phones. So why can't we use that very same technology to send out alerts regarding missing children? The AMBER Alert System was created in Texas in 1996. The word AMBER is an acronym for America's Missing Broadcast Emergency Response and is named after nine-year-old Amber Hagerman, whose abduction and murder resulted in the alert system being developed. When a child goes missing and is in serious imminent danger of bodily harm, law enforcement in all 50 states in America send the basic information of the child and any known suspects to every available information outlet. TV, radio, social media, electronic road signs, and mobile phones are used to quickly spread the information, the system is far from perfect, but it is a damn sight better than finding out that a strange man walked off with an eight-year-old child in Sakaini three months after it happened, and only because I happened to stumble upon the case on Twitter. Our cell phone service providers and the SAPS can make such an alert to reality in South Africa. If they can tell me about the specials on Omo and the 17 subscription services they recommend for me, then they can tell me about a missing child. Amakhla Tibete disappeared without a trace on the 6th of April 2019. She was wearing blue jeans with hearts printed on the right-hand side and a long-sleeve white t-shirt with black stripes on the front. Theories about what fate may have befallen the child abound. We know that she was not taken by force, but she certainly did not intend to have spent four months with the man she was simply giving directions to. The most hopeful theory is that Amakhla is still being held somewhere in South Africa and alive and we still have time to recover her. The least positive theory is that she was taken by a person who intended to end her life, and he did so, and her remains are yet to be discovered. Her abduction having been for human trafficking purposes is also a possibility. What is uncontested is that the day that Amakle was taken, she lost her voice, and she is now relying on us to be her voice. I will post Amakle's missing flyer on all of our social media accounts, as well as on our website, Please share widely. Even if you don't live anywhere near Tsukani, there is a good possibility that your shares will come across the right person. If you do live near where Amakle disappeared, I encourage you to print out her poster and place it on your notice board at work or in the back window of your car. In researching this case, I came across another South African covering true crime cases. Mfundo Ndala has a YouTube channel under her name and has also done an excellent video on Amathle's disappearance, as well as many other South African cases. I encourage you to subscribe to her channel and check out her content. Thank you for listening to Amathle's Story. If you enjoyed this episode, please review us on the podcast you use. I really love hearing your feedback on the episodes and your comments on the parts you enjoy and what you'd like to hear more of can only help this podcast to grow and improve. Please follow True Crime South Africa on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and join our discussions on those platforms. Before I say bye for now, I'd like to share some exciting news with you. I'm going to be introducing a new add-on to True Crime South Africa, TCSA Spotlight will be a separate, shorter episode where we discuss weekly cases that have cropped up in the media, as well as any updates to cases we've already covered. I should have the first episode of Spotlight out shortly after a Mahle's episode. Thanks again for listening, and for your continued support of True Crime South Africa. Chat to you in our next episode.